Billy Ann, thank you very much for talking to us here at Karma. Wera. No, Wera. Good to be here, Philip, um, and great to be back at Karma again. Now, I was wondering if we could maybe talk about the COVID vaccination rates that are currently in the Territory sure. at the moment. Um, current federal data, which the most recent data came out, which you know we could dispute about whether or not how different they are from the Northern Territory health data. Um, but if we go off our federal uh, data that we've seen, um, it shows a 1% increase in fully vaccinated rates in the Barclay and as well as places like the Daly, the Western Arnhem region. Both of those regions currently have well, under 30% of fully vaccination rates. But they're way behind, far way behind where Darwin and the inner and outer suburbs and a lot of the top end are at the moment. In your view, are we are vaccination blitzes doing their job? Uh, look, Philip, I'm I'm actually quite worried about our vaccination rates in remote communities. Um, we've got some communities that are still they've only just hit double digits. One community, and I won't name the communities because I said I won't won't vilify people and vilify mm. communities. But we've got a, one community that's only got a ten percent vaccination rate. So I, I'm concerned that our the government's communication out to communities hasn't been particularly good. It was one of the things um, that we spoke about, that the first briefing I received on vaccinations and the vaccination rollout, uh, I spoke about the need to be able to communicate clearly out into communities and communicate clearly with the people so that they understood what was going on. I don't know if that's happened that well, and I think that probably shows up in the current vaccination rates we're seeing. Um, the Barclays way behind, Central Australia's way behind. Some parts are top end in the remote communities are doing really well. And does that come down to resourcing? Are those communities up there a little bit better resourced than the communities down here in Central Australia and the Barclay? And as you, I said, that's a concern. Do you think we need to see more in-language messaging out there? I think so. Um, for Aboriginal people out in the bush, English is sometimes a second or third or even fourth language. So to be able to get that message out clearly in language really makes a big difference. Uh, and some of the stuff that's been that's come across in the media that people see either on the news or on Facebook is quite damaging because you're not seeing, you're not getting the, the actual truth or the actual facts. Um, and people need to maybe understand that in language. You're heading off to for a meeting with the Deputy Chief Health Officer. You're finally getting a briefing from him, and there has been a lot of debate about uh, well, where the CLP stand in terms of wanting to get this. Can you tell me just a little bit about why there hasn't been, or why this meeting is important particularly to well, our listeners? Well, um, it's around the, Philip, it's around the mandatory vaccination um, and the roadmap that the Chief Minister spoke about a, about a week and a half ago now. Um, now, there was a lot of statements made in that, and the, the, the polarising factor is the mandatory vaccinations, and it's about protecting the most vulnerable territorians, of course, which is the people out in our communities. Um, but before we'll form an opinion or take a position on it, we need to get that same briefing that the Chief Minister has got. Now, it's fine for him to come out and say... This is what I've been told, but really, we take our advice from the Chief Health Officer around COVID-19, not the Chief Minister. So it's really important we speak to the Chief Health Officer, or in this case, it will be the Deputy Chief Health Officer, uh, Dr Charles Payne, about the requirements and the reasoning and the determinations that have led us to that uh, mandatory vaccination point, because, yeah... 
people want details. People need information. And, and we've had a, a real big gap in that information. We had these grand motherhood statements about this is what it's going to be and we've got a, a green light, an amber light and a red light, but there's not been that much detail and, and people need that detail. And we're getting asked questions, of course, as well as government, uh, and we need to be able to provide the answers back to our constituents. What's the exact detail that the CLP are looking for? I mean, you as... A uh, local member here. What are you looking for, particularly for? Well, from I'm, I'm, I, I want to hear from the, the 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 deputy chief health officer. Effectively, what has led us to this point of mandatory vaccinations? Um, what does that actually mean? Of course, then for for territorians, how are they going to roll this out? What are the how the detail about? Uh, the possible repercussions for people who choose not to get vaccinated, uh, what that's going to mean going forward, because there's all this rhetoric flying around, but again, there's very little detail. And it's that the devil is always in the detail, as we know, and that's what we need to find out. Have you spoken to a lot of people in your electorate or also maybe within the Central Australian remote communities about the territory rollout and what they think? I mean, particularly for our listeners, Aboriginal Territorians? Um, funnily enough, I said I could make it out yesterday. I really desperately wanted to, but um, my team were actually out at a titchery yesterday because CLC, through a barbecue, and mm. the health team were out there doing COVID vaccinations. And um, we are out there just to talk to people, find out what's going on, um, and, and the big issue is information. Um, people, mm. people are scared um, because they've seen one thing in the media and they're hearing different things from different people. Um, so and that's been a major issue, misinformation yeah, out there. Getting that clear message out. And, look, and I must give credit where credit's due. The, the Chief Health Officer, Dr Hugh Heggie, and, of course, the Police Commissioner, uh, Jamie Chalker, were down here last week and out in the communities providing that clear message about vaccinations, uh, what it is, what it means, and, and providing those actual truths about that to people out in the bush. Uh, the fact that we've had to get to the point where the Chief Health Officer and the Police Commissioner are going to be out in the bush doing that, I think speaks volumes too. I think it shows that there's been a distinct lack of communication out in the bush. What would you say to calls from organisations like AMSANT who have called for rates of around about 90 to 95% of people needing to be vaccinated within the Territory to protect remote communities? Well, I think that's a great number to get to. I think and AMSANT are probably best place to, to make some of those, I think, um, constructive criticisms around the vaccination rates. Mm. Um, they've got some good ideas of what needs to happen out in the communities. If we can get to that, that's great. That, mm. that would be the, the ultimate. I think we have to be realistic at, at some point in time. Not everyone's going to want to be vaccinated, which is unfortunate even with the best health advice. But if we can get to the point where 100% of Territorians have been offered the vaccination, mm. um, I think that's a good goal to achieve. And if we can achieve those high rates of 90 to 95%, that would be a, an excellent goal to achieve. Uh, do you think that this idea of uh, lockouts is a good idea? I mean, could you maybe, uh, are you able to enlighten us what this means? What, I'd, what I'd love to be able, means? Philippe, I'd love to be able to enlighten you a little bit more, but again, that's some of the detail that we're going to need to see from this briefing. Yep. My, I've only got my brief understanding from what the Chief Minister has spoken about. Um, so if there is COVID in the Territory, if you're vaccinated, you'll be allowed to do certain things. Mm. If you're not vaccinated, you won't be allowed to do certain things. And that holds grave concerns for some of our communities too, because if we have communities that 
don't have their vaccination rates up, are they not going to be allowed out of the communities? Um, mm. How are we going to provide services to them? Are they going to be restricted in movement? Uh, and, that, and that's a concern for everybody out in the bush for sure. I was wondering if we could go on to the National Aboriginal Art Gallery. Um, uh, recently you would have been aware that uh, the Northern Territory Civil and Administrative Tribunal, Tribunal NTCAT, um, gave a finding recently asking for the Infrastructure Minister, Eva Lawler, to uh, conduct further discussions with traditional owners. Um, can you clarify, I suppose, what the CLP's position is on this um, ruling? Uh, and maybe could you maybe uh, identify as exactly where the CLP stands on where the National Aboriginal Art Gallery should be located? Well, I suppose a couple of things there, Philippe, is that I think the ruling from NTCAT highlights a very major issue that whilst the Gunner government have come out over time and said, we've been consulting, we've been consulting, we've been consulting, it's obvious that that consultation hasn't taken place to the right level. So NTCAT has said to government, you need to get back out and consult with the traditional custodians here in Mapatwa. Um and go and listen to their concerns. Now, uh, it's been a while though. I mean, well, like there's 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 been delay after delay after delay. Mate, we've been at this for five years. <laughs> yeah. Five yeah. years ago, they said we're going to build a, the National Aboriginal Art Gallery. And five years on, we're getting a ruling from NTCAT saying you actually have to go back and consult properly. So uh, it beggars begs the question: what's been happening for the past five years? But as far as where the the, the National Aboriginal Art Gallery should go. During the election last year, our position was that um, the initial site identified by the, the group that actually done the research was out at the Desert Park. Now, uh, Aboriginal groups uh, and traditional custodians have said, well, there's other places that probably should go. Um, we need to listen to what those custodians say and listen to their opinions and, and get the best advice from those people. And that, that's for us as the CLP, I suppose. Oh. But granted, there are divisions within yeah. Aboriginal people in this town with this project. I mean, Lira Tipper have uh, agreed that Anzac's precinct site is worth having the gallery. I mean, there's been people who suggested south of the Gap and people also pointing towards the Desert Knowledge Park and, as you mm. say, Desert Park. There's so many split-ish ideas on this issue. So obviously we're going to have to find a, a suitable place yeah. somewhere and there are people that are simply just not going to be happy about it. No, and look, and that's the thing. Uh, that's life. Not everybody agrees on, on everything. Um, but if we can get a reasonable consensus uh, from traditional custodians and where we should go, um, these days my point is just build a thing. Um, there's been talk about it for five years now um, and people are waiting and it, it's created all sorts of divides within um, the Aboriginal community here in town and wider about where it mm. should go. Look, let's just get on with it. Build a thing. Alice Springs could use, A, the economic boost, uh, the, the construction boost, mm. and we need something to, to drive tourism into the town in the future. So it's to the point now, let's get on with it. Um, maybe, maybe if they, if the consultation had been a little bit better two or three years ago, we may have seen some action now, but hopefully we might see some movement. Are you suggesting that the, the infrastructure minister, Eva Lawler, should simply maybe sign on the compulsory acquisition 
document to say that they've uh, taken no, over the Able? No, no, then? certainly not, Philippe. If, no, if you're I, wanting to get on with it, though, is that oh yeah, look, we, we should we should get on with it. But when I say get on with it. Get out there and start doing those consultations. Start having those proper and real conversations with the people who can make some decisions or provide some information. Don't sit around for the next month, six months, 12 months, 18 months, dawdling um, with your consultations. Get out. This this needs to be a priority for Alice Springs. Um, get out and make it happen because mm. I said, I said five years, um, five years ahead, we're going to build a gallery. We're going to build a gallery. Mm. We're going to build a gallery. And um, mm. we're still waiting. And we haven't got anything to date. I was wondering if we could talk about just a couple of other topics, if that's okay. I'll sure. just throw these out without any notice. Crime in this town uh, is, uh, I suppose, with some uh, summer holidays coming up, there's been obviously a lot of anxiety in what may happen in the quieter months of of the central uh, Australian region, I suppose. We, we've seen news that the Alice Springs Youth Hub will now op only operate from midday until 10pm now. It's no longer going to be 24 hours. Um, from the COP's point of view, is this a good move to shorten the hours and have kids dropped off to a safe place? Well, the there's, there's a couple of things there, Philippe. Um, having the Youth Hub open 24 hours actually creates an issue in the CBD. It actually brings people to the CBD and then some problems actually happen there unfortunately now it's it's a minority that are causing the problems the majority are doing the right thing so by closing um, the youth hub a little bit earlier it will stop some of those issues um, the, the thing then is to make sure that the the people that are there are getting back to where they need to go uh, we've been myself uh, Josh Burgoyne and of course Robin Lamley the, the independent member here have actually been talking with government uh, and trying to come up with some solutions and then one of those solutions which is being acted upon uh, to the government's credit is to start uh, reinvigorating some of the community centres in some of the town camps. There's five being identified so rather than having activities here in the CBD um, getting some of those activities back out into the town camps um, which I, I see as a, a, an excellent idea um, Kids and people aren't moving around late at night. There's activities happening at home, which will be great. So hopefully we can see that stuff sooner rather than later. Where do you stand on, I suppose, the introduced bail laws that have come in earlier this year? Is it too early to say in terms of whether or not they've had an effect on crime rates? It's difficult to say. You're right. Um, we certainly haven't seen a change in crime rates. Um, we're still seeing... Uh, we saw statistics that said that cases of domestic violence were risen in Bar the Barclay region recently. Uh, oh, domestic you know. violence is, is increasing across the board, mm. right across central Australia, Barclay and in the top end. Yeah. Domestic violence is a real concern. Crimes against the person are a huge concern. Um, crimes against property, whilst it's not nice, you can replace property. Um, you can fix things, but when the, the offence is against a person, they're a real concern because they have long-lasting effects on people. But it's really it's really too early to see if those changes in those bylaws are going to have mm. much of an effect. But anecdotally, we're hearing that uh, offenders are getting bailed and then breaching bail and then getting mm. picked up again by police and then breaching bail again. So, mm. uh, so far, we haven't seen much change. Mr. Yan, I was wondering if I could ask you one more question. Uh, the Daily um, electorate had a recent by-election and uh, the CLP uh, lost that election uh, to a, a new Labor um, MLA up there, uh, an Aboriginal man 
Jaeger man who he's not connected to that country. One thing I haven't seen a lot about is the one thing that was put out pointed out to me when the the past parliamentary sittings came across was that we have now six Aboriginal MLAs in Parliament, which is obviously a good thing. But one stark thing that I saw was that the CLP didn't have any of those Aboriginal um, mm. MLAs. They were either independents or part of the Labor Party. Do you think that the CLP needs to have candidates uh, who are First Nations running in either these by-elections? Um, I mean, you had a really great slew of Aboriginal MLAs prior to 2016. You had a chief minister who mm. was an Aboriginal Detroit, person yeah. as well. But you currently don't. Is there an issue at the moment in terms of trying to get people to be part of the CLP or run well, for CLPs? I suppose it's hard to say, Flip. Look, I must say in the last election, we had a great candidate run for Gwadja, which was Philip Ellis, a good mm. traditional man. Sadly, uh, Philip wasn't um, successful in winning that seat. But we certainly encourage Aboriginal people to stand for pre-selection. And, and I suppose the way the CLP works, it might be a little bit different to Labor. Our pre-selection is you... You have to apply, then you stand up uh, and um, oh. provide why you should be pre-selected and then you run for the election. So, um, well, I think we've got a few people sitting there in the background for the 2020, sorry, the 2023 election. Mm -hmm. um, I, I also should mention, look, I am aware that Jacinta Numpajimba Price is running for the federal election. Yes. She's running as a federal candidate, though, but I mean, obviously... I mean, I, I, I was just looking at parliamentary sittings and I'm just thinking, mm. where are the Aboriginal voices on the right side of yeah, politics? Yeah, that's right. And look, I'd like to see certainly some more um, Aboriginal people within our wing. Hopefully with Jacinta running for the Senate, and I have no doubt that she'll be successful, she may encourage other people to stand up and want to represent their community. There's some great Aboriginal leaders out there in our communities. We need those people to step up. Uh, approach the CLP if they follow our side of politics and um, get their pre-selection applications in uh, when they're called for and have a really, a really good think about how they can best promote themselves and, of course, then how they can represent uh, the people of those communities should they be elected because, yeah, it would be, it would be great to see we need those voices in our parliament. With that, Bill Yan, thank you very much for talking to us here at Karma. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Philippe. I've really enjoyed it. And hello, everybody out there in the bush. And uh, I look forward to getting out and seeing some of you in my trips in the future.